Hello! A few weeks ago now, and I do apologise for the delay, uh, Theresa May, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, gave a speech in Florence regarding Britain's position in the EU and the, the Brexit negotiations and so on, and it was an attempt to characterise the future negotiations or ask for them to have a particular character and particular features. And uh, various people have asked me what I thought about it, so I'm going to make a video about it. And I've watched it again, made some notes, and, uh, well, I'll just go straight into it. Uh, the first thing I want to say, and this is a general thing, is how apologetic her tone was in the speech. It was clear, and you've got to remember that she was a Remainer. She didn't want Brexit in the first place. And you could tell that even in this speech, which was delivered more than a year after the Brexit referendum. And this is really the, the key point. You know, it's been about 16 months now, and it's still this sense of, I can't believe that the British public voted this way, and we're still unsure how to proceed, how to act on this decision that was delivered to us by the public. And um, there's a sort of outrage, and latent outrage, and bafflement, and confusion and worry on the part of the establishment, as embodied by Theresa May. And the way she deals with this when she's uh, addressing Brussels' Eurocrats, which is really what this speech was designed to do. The way she deals with it is to just be apologetic and also to worship, to say how, how much Europe means to her personally and to the British people. And, you know, I don't want to go too much into that because Europe is important to British people. But to talk about being European, being European is incidental. And I think that's true of every nation in Europe, the, the people of in every nation, but it's especially true of the British. Um, you don't regard yourself as a European. That is not an identity. It's a sort of incidental ingredient to your identity, which ultimately is national, or may even be smaller than that. It may even be more uh, local than that. But the, the being European thing is just, that's a, those two words don't really go together with much oomph with much clarity uh, as to what they mean. So when someone like Theresa May addresses the EU, as she was doing with this speech, and uses those that terminology, she's really speaking for herself and other rootless cosmopolitans. Uh, so, okay, but as I say, the, the whole thing, because she knows that, she knows that, and because that, because she knows that, she has to be apologetic. She has to sort of paper over what she knows is a huge uh, disconnect between the British public and the, the Brussels elite. And uh, yeah, she does that by sort of toadying up to them. So, yeah, and that's both in terms of governmental infrastructure and in terms of culture. And she talks about the Renaissance a bit. And yeah, of course that's an ingredient in British identity, in English and Scottish. Of course it is. Um, but... It's it's sort of incidental. It's filtered through, as I say, local identities. And those are the things that people have, as much as they have other identities these days. And I've said this before uh, in the EU-Europa video, for example, that we, you know, we, we have other identities as well nowadays. But I don't want to get into that here. That's, that's another thing entirely. So, okay, I'll go through the notes. Theresa May opens by speaking about the Renaissance, which speaks about the creativity and imagination of Europe, and in many ways defined what it means to be European. 
And that, that's just cringe. Um, <laughs> it's true that the Renaissance does speak about the, yeah, it represents, it's an example of the creativity and imagination of Europe. But this thing about being European, as I've said already, it, it just doesn't compute for me anyway. And, uh, I suspect for many British people. She then said that if we open our minds to new thinking and possibilities, we can forge a better and brighter future for all our peoples. And it was good of her to say our peoples. That's saying and that's almost volkish uh, in its thinking. And I was kind of surprised to, to, to see that terminology coming from at the mouth of a modern politician. But anyway, when she talks about opening our minds to new thinking and possibilities, you've got to bear in mind that she didn't want the new thinking and possibilities of Brexit. She was a Remainer, so she was not open to this. She's only open to it now because she has to be. She's, she's, the, uh, she's the person who's been unfortunately burdened with this. But she was not open to new thinking or possibilities. She wanted Britain to remain in the EU. But with all that that entails, ever closer union, the exact same thinking of the last 50 years, constantly being, being purified, being increased, being intensified. So no, she was not open to new thinking. This is silly for her to say that now. But I guess she is adapting. You could say if you're being charitable, she is adapting. Oh, good. She then says that the EU is starting a new chapter in its vibrant development. Uh, you know, that's just arse licking. If there's one organisation you can say is not vibrant, it's the EU. The EU is grey, labyrinthine, bureaucratic, faceless, bland. Uh, it's not, it's not vibrant. The last word that I would ever use to describe the EU is vibrant. Um, and we're talking not about the collection of countries, we're talking about the or member states, we're talking about the EU itself as an entity. It, no, it, it's vibrant development, that, that's just ridiculous. It's an organisation that's just waiting to fester and rot away and die. And in the meantime, it's got this crazed managerialist mindset, it wants to rope as many other entities into its uh, purview as possible. It's like the Borg, that's what the EU is, it's not vibrant. Then she brings up the migrant crisis, saying traffickers are exploiting men, women and children who seek a better life. Uh, yuck. I mean, we can. I've talked extensively about the migrant crisis, so I'm not going to go into it here. I'll just say that I... I she, that, I'll tell you what, that issue shouldn't even figure in a speech like this. This speech should be about the British people, the British peoples, and what they want shouldn't be about what the EU elites want, and it certainly shouldn't be about what the fucking migrants want. They've got nothing to do with this, or our, the British people's relationship with the EU. They should not figure in this at all, except as a, an element that needs to be dealt with, like, like healthcare, or border control, or military, or something like that. But they should absolutely not figure in, in terms of, in any other terms. Theresa May then went on and said uh, the fight against terrorism, etc., mentioning recruitment from within Europe. But, of course, well, this is exactly why we should stop all immigration from Islamic countries into Europe. If you don't want more uh, jihadis emerging from European countries, stop importing potential jihadis into European countries. 
It's it's very very simple. It's it's embarrassingly simple. You know, it's embarrassing to say that. <coughs> and then what? Uh, and then she said, mass migration and terrorism are but two challenges to our shared European values that we can only solve in partnership. Uh, well, yes, as long as we have open borders, yeah, these are these things are going to affect us all, and they're going to as long as we have open borders, we will need to. Uh, partner up to combat this. If we didn't have open borders, then we wouldn't uh, need to partner up to combat these things because they wouldn't be, uh, what would you say, trans-border. They wouldn't be transnational. They wouldn't be continental European problems. They would be limited to one country or whatever. And as I've said before, if the EU exists for one thing, surely it would be to protect Europe's borders, the outer borders of the uh, the empire, as it were, and yet it can't do that, and it doesn't want to do that. So, the, you know, this is <laughs> it's, it's a joke for her to say mass migration is a challenge that only we can only solve in by collaborating with each other, cooperating, setting up uh, intergovernmental bodies. Well, why aren't you fucking doing it then? Why aren't you solving the problem? Why haven't you been doing that for for years, decades, even? And we certainly don't need, and another thing, just to emphasize, we don't need the EU in order to combat this. Uh, demonstrably, the EU is not combating it anyway. And then she spoke of aggression from the East, referencing Russia. And uh, I don't go along with this. I don't, I don't buy it that Putin and Russia are, uh, are some kind of threat, as in the Cold War. I just, I just don't find that plausible. And then she says, terrorism, crime and aggression, which respect no borders. Well, of course they don't respect borders. We don't have borders. We don't, we're not anymore. So why should they respect borders? We don't. Our governments don't. Our elites don't. <sighs> yeah, okay, I'll just move on. She then states that the decision to leave will make Britain a sovereign nation again where the British people are in control. She said, the United Kingdom, and, and yes, good, that's true. And I'm, she's just saying the truth there, so not much to say. Then she goes on, the United Kingdom has never felt quite at home in the European Union. And perhaps because of our history and geography, the European Union has never felt quite to us like a part of our national story. Good, I completely agree. But I have to say that this is one of very few points in the speech where she actually spoke from the perspective of the British people which you would think would be integral, if not the main thing in this speech. Uh, it should generate, it should be the, the seedbed from which all the ideas in the speech uh, flower, blossom. But um, no, it's really just this one point in the speech where she says, where she explains on a, an emotional level why the British people voted for Brexit. Not emotional, spiritual level perhaps, whatever, psychological, identitarian. <coughs> And yeah, it's absolutely true. We've never felt at home in the EU, and the EU has never felt like a part of our national story. But I think it hasn't really felt like a part of anyone's national story. But yeah, as she alludes uh, to the geography, this is especially true of Britain because we are geographically separate from the continent. But I do think it's true of the French, the Germans, everyone as well. And then she spoke about how the negotiation must work, the Brexit negotiation must work, because it is our responsibility to leave this world in good shape 
for the next generation who will inherit it. Well, it's nice to hear a politician speaking of the long term like that, of the uh, the 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 Burkean contract. But if she really believed this and was uh, had any intention of living by it, surely she would stop mass immigration from the third world into our countries, or at least into Britain. You know, if you want to leave Britain in better shape or in good shape, then you don't import loads of people with a an average IQ of eighty. You know, for thinking of sub and northern Africa, then why are you doing that? You obviously have no intention of leaving Britain in a better condition or in the same condition that you found it in. So don't fucking lie. Don't piss around. I mean, I know politicians always have to say this stuff. They always have to come out with the platitudes, but God almighty, it's frustrating. And then she said, European nationals in the UK will be welcome to remain there. Um, but that is over 3.6 million people who are almost exclusively low-wage Eastern European workers. Now, I've got nothing against them, but she is talking about allowing nearly 4 million people to continue to undercut native British workers. And that's not really good enough. I mean, the, the priority is the, is the non-European immigrants, of course. And I don't want... I wouldn't want to expend much energy worrying about the European migrants or the Eastern European migrants who are in Britain. But still, it is an issue. As long as they're there undercutting the native British workers, the native British workers are being fucked. And then she says, all current EU laws will be carried over into domestic UK law when the UK exits. Uh, so in other words, we're going to just... All of these laws are going to be transplanted into Britain. And, you know, I... Fair enough. Uh, I understand that for stability, that's probably the best way to go about it. But hopefully a process of pruning would, would soon commence so that we could, uh, we don't want to be drowning in, in laws, uh, which obviously a lot of them will be superfluous. And then she says a period, and this is the, the crucial thing with the speech, a period of implementation of transition will need to exist after leaving. During this period, nothing will really change, but it will be strictly time-limited to around two years. That's a paraphrase, that's not a direct quote. So two years after we officially leave, two years after triggering Article 50, she wants things to continue basically as normal. Um, and that means open borders. And she also said the UK will, and this is paraphrasing, the UK will continue to pay out money to Europe to meet any Euro arrangements and budgetary deals already made prior to Brexit up until the point when they expire. Programmes for joint progress will always have a UK contribution to cover the UK's share of the cost. Well, fair enough. Um, I don't have much to say about that. I'm not terribly interested in that aspect of it. What I am interested in is the two-year transition period, which is what outraged everyone else as well. Because this delays real Brexit by another two years. So that's... Okay, I'll, I'll read what someone else wrote about this. The Prime Minister said she wanted the UK and EU to maintain access to each other's markets on current terms, which the EU doesn't want to do after Brexit. And as, as I understand it, they want to make it difficult. Uh, so she, Theresa May wants this to continue for another two years uh, during the transition period. That means the UK will effectively have to accept freedom of movement uh, for the duration of this implementation period, so for another two years, which uh, 
And then Boris Johnson said that Britain will take control of its borders after the transition. So again, another two years. So that means that effectively we won't get Brexit for real until 2021. But in the meantime, there will be another general election in 2020, if not before then. uh, God knows. Who knows what will happen? I mean, it's not the most stable government. So there won't. So this is the problem. Brexit in 2021, but a general election a year before that, at least a year before that, and Labour are currently going strong. And while officially their line is that they want to go ahead with Brexit, they want to go along with it, anything could change, and they are doing everything they can to change, to, to dissuade the public that Brexit is a good idea. So God knows what could happen here. I'm at a loss. I'm really just echoing what other people have already said about this. But it is frustrating that this goes on and on and on. So as I say, it's more than a year since the referendum, and yet we still have no idea what we're going to do. And they're kicking the can down the road as well. So, but, you know, this is what happens when you have essentially a managerialist in power, in control. Um, This was a mindset that I think came in with New Labour. You might say it actually came in with John Major's government. This this sort of bureaucratic, non-romantic idea uh, or attitude. So you have leaders who are very much just by the numbers, keep things stable, manage the decline, and uh, glory in initiatives and spreadsheets and so on. And there's no romance, there's no drama, there's no love in such people. And Theresa May is exactly like that. She's a very good example of this type of person who doesn't really believe in anything. She just... uh, She's a caretaker. She's not a leader. And I think you can see that. You can see that in her style of leadership and her style of prime ministership. She is just keeping things ticking by, but she doesn't seem to have any direction, any vision. And so uh, she has been, she's found herself in charge at a fairly crucial moment in Britain's history. She she has the duty of managing that transition, this, this critical change. And I think she doesn't have the oomph or the passion to push it forward. So she's really just reacting to other people's hesitation. She's not pushing it. And in the end, God knows what this will result in. But it's clear that her heart isn't in it. And uh, she was the wrong leader. She was the. I don't think she's a good leader at all. I, I think, realistically, Theresa May should be a head teacher somewhere, at some school somewhere. She should not be le- uh, leading a country. It just doesn't suit her. So, this uh, supposedly very important Florence speech was yet again. See, every time Theresa May gives a speech, it's and there's just been a funny one at the at this conference that people are making fun of. But every time she makes a speech, it's another non-event. And I think the Florence one, the reason it's kind of annoying to people or shocking to people is that it shows how much of a non-event the whole Brexit thing is for Theresa May. She's just 
It's just a problem that she has to deal with. It's not really an opportunity. She's going through the motions. But, yeah, I'm just going to be repeating myself if I keep going on. Basically, she was the wrong leader for this, and she was the wrong leader for Britain. I'll leave it at that. Thank you for watching.